Happy New Year from the GBC Happy Hour with Richie Roy and Johnny Mac, North America's favorite bi-coastal and totally queer talk fest is now underway with these two motor mouths. To the happy hour. Would you like to say that again? I was I was late getting the uh, button turned on. <laughs> no worries. Welcome to the happy hour, everyone. Hope you are having a wonderful time whenever and wherever you're at. Uh, how are you doing, Johnny Mac? I am just fabulous. You are. I am. I'm even I am naked too. tonight. You're what? Aren't you naked? <laughs> it's freezing here. I'm wearing a hoodie. You have a brand new furnace. I do have a brand new furnace. It's. Uh, I was just. Uh, I've been crowing about it all week. I switched over from heating oil to uh, propane. It's all very fancy looking down there. It looks like in my, like like a NASA installation down in my basement. It's very exciting. But have you, um, have you started? No, your, I, have you started your OnlyFans and your Just for Fans yet to raise the money to cover the cost of it? I know, right? It really was. It was a little pricey. Or maybe but, um, a crowdfunding <laughs> effort. <laughs> but um but yes so no i'm wearing a hoodie uh trying to keep warm it is still cold here um although not as frigid as it had been so yeah um and we've got a good show tonight we've got a bunch of uh interesting news topics uh you know always sort of lgbtq focused but um some a little bit more general including the first one which kind of touches on lgbtq stuff but other things too so I think let's just jump right in. I think and it's, it's a really important story to tell because lots of people with all the stuff that's been going on the last few weeks in the American election cycle, the kind of the beginning of the primary uh, season with uh, what's been going on in Iowa and in New Hampshire and such, people are already starting to get worried because of the things that have happened uh, so far on that front. And... One of the things I, I try to remind people right now is that there is something that we need to pay attention to in, a, in, in regards to our youngest among the voters. This year, in uh, 2024, we have 41 million new American voters or voting mm. eligible voters. Gen Z is dumping 41 million new first-time voters into the pool of people who can vote in a presidential election. So uh, that's pretty extraordinary. And I think that that plays right into, uh, devil, dovetails into what we're going to talk about in this first segment today. Yeah. So there was a recent survey from the Public Religion Research Institute, and their findings were that a whopping 28% of Gen Z adults identify as, as a LGBTQ, uh, which is up a huge amount, 16% um, of millennials, 7% of Gen X, 4% of boomers, and 4% of the silent generation identifying as LGBTQ+. Um, it also found that 21% uh, of Gen Z adults identify as Republican and 27% identify as white Christians. So if you do the math, Gen Z is actually more queer than it is Republican or 
white Christian. So those are some pretty interesting numbers. And I think um, it's exciting. It's exciting to, to see a generation that is so kind of uh, representative of our modern world um, and kind of, you know, contemporary mores. And it's also, it's, it's a, it, it gives you a, sort of a, a peek into why the right is as adamantly anti-democratic and sort of attempting to entrench sort of very draconian revanchist uh, policies in things like Supreme Court decisions and in, you know, in law, because they see that the demographics, you know, are not in their favor. And so when you're looking at a democratic country or, you know, ostensibly a democracy, um, that doesn't look good for you. If what you're peddling is not what most people want, you're going to have to try to do something to change how the game is played. Yeah, I mean, I am reading this posting that was uh, published to uh, Twitter uh, by the Harvard Law Cyber Law Clinic instructor Alejandra uh, Carabao, and uh, it it really it stands out in a very big way. You know, when it identifies that you know Gen Z identifies as twenty eight percent LGBTQ. Um, and that is, to me, it is just an extraordinary number. And we know that people who are in that community are going to be most likely very active in this particular election cycle, uh, because when you look at the rights and all that is possibly going to be ripped away if we let our democracy uh, slip away from us at this point in time and what's been promised by the former president if he should be reelected uh, I'm hoping that they are going to heed uh, what he says and take it to heart because we've already seen uh, so much damage in his previous uh, cycle as the president of the United States and I just, every time I talk to a group of young people, and Richie, you and I talk to a lot of them every week on spaces in the mm -hmm. Twitterverse. And I'm not going to call it, as we've said before, by that other letter. But um, but the point is, is that each time we get a chance to talk to them, and they're annoyed having to hear about all these old people. Well, guess what? The choice is between two old guys this year. That's who it's between. And it, it, I'm just so glad to see that there are so many of them who are eligible to vote. My hope is, is that those who can will as opposed to sitting on their hands just because they're not excited about the candidate. Because if they don't, this could be the last time, at least during my lifetime, whatever's left of it, um, for them to vote. Yeah, I mean, and I think, uh, I think that, that there's a, a couple things there. One is that um, what I sometimes hear is a kind of... Um, a sense of uh, that 
that any you know that that no one is looking out for the interests of the of the young or no one's look you know that republicans and democrats are essentially the same they're all bullshit and um you know who cares why even bother you know they're the same and i think that there's this is a first of all i mean it's obviously just patently wrong but i think that that this is um and and it plays into a conservative talking point that essentially any kind of any kind of government is flawed and bad, um, because that kind of thinking uh, benefits uh, not or, or leads to less voting, which leads to better outcomes for Republicans and conservatives. So it's playing into a playbook by itself. But secondly, I think that that kind of the onus right now is is really on Democrats and and um, and democratic institutions to educate and gin up excitement about the upcoming election because the stakes are high because if you look at it in a lot of you know by a lot of metrics joe biden has done a very good job of riding the ship and actually doing a pretty good job of being president even though he's not quote flashy or exciting and because even though he's quote you know ancient um you know you have to look past that and you have to just see what's actually happening. What does his cabinet look like? What kind of policies are actually happening here? And in, 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 in what headwinds are they being made? I think that given the fact that, that there is divided government, um, the Biden administration's done a pretty good job of getting through some stuff. Yeah. Um, and using the administrative <clears throat> state in ways that are helpful to the majority of Americans. But I think that that's a job that that the democratic institutions and frankly us, we all have to play our part in getting people excited to go vote. When I ask people besides the age factor, what they don't like about the current president, I often hear that it was the fact that um, he really was the one who cracked down with the restrictions and movement and on um, wearing masks and things like that. Uh, because he wanted to get, once he finally got into the Oval Office, he wanted to get the American people to take seriously and to realize that we're not going to stop the infections and the deaths if we don't do this. It's something that our leadership should have really pushed a lot harder from the very get-go of this thing. But when I stop and think about that, I think about, you know, because the American people's memories are so short-lived I often think that they should be hailing the numbers that we saw of people who are in this country who died and then how those numbers started to fall off of off a cliff. They didn't go completely away, but they did diminish dramatically. And so how many of your I mean this is what it always comes down down to with politics it's really about what hits you personally, your pocketbook, your health, you know, your family's well-being and so on. How Did you have relatives or friends uh, or a significant other who died during the pandemic? You know, I mean, of course that was a major thing that we had to focus on as a country and trying to get a country that is as divided as the United States has been over the last several years. That's a pretty hard job. But when you look at other stuff, you know, he was out there on the front lines with, with the picketers who were on strike with the United Auto Workers and first president to ever do that and to be out there 
uh, walking the picket line with him and fighting for average American Joes and Jills to be able to get a fair wage. They now have contracts. Uh, those who are union workers have better contracts, paying better wages and being able to live uh, a better life in the middle class. Um, you know, there's a lot of other things that you can point to. He was the one who pushed the whole thing with regards to, you know, the the uh, stopping the repayment of those incredible uh, predatory student loans mm-hmm. that were out there. And it was not him that took that away. That was the Republicans who took that away. And, and so I don't know how many people I know who had uh, been and are still affected by that and the fact that those loan payments have now had to start kicking back in. So uh, when you look at who wants to help you, well, it's definitely not the other side. They want to help billionaires, you know, and those we have less than a thousand of in the United States, but we have 340 million citizens. So, I don't know. I well, I, I don't think and, you and have the, to look at this thing as is politics. This coming, I, I think you have to look at this as how do you take care of you? And I think, and I think that's but and how you take care of you, you have to is again, uh, you know, when you look at the metrics, you have to think about you have to think about them in kind of a, a you know a, a creative or you know in a way that takes into account realities because in the coming year. Um, Republicans, you know, because the thing is, when you go into an election cycle, um, people are voting based on how they're feeling about the direction of the country or whatever. What we're going to see this in this year, and Republicans have already been kind of on it, but they'll really be on it, is to throw wrenches in the works to try to immiserate people, to try to, you know, to the extent they can prevent the Democrats or prevent the federal government, especially, and probably state governments too, from doing anything to make the the country feel better yeah. to make things actually better because then they can go into the election cycle pointing to the fact that things are so grim and grave and so and by the when way you look if you're so worried like so many in this country seem to be i'm not sure that they really are but it it's a big talking point for the gop that the big thing is the threat to american security at the southern border and the fact that this past week, earlier this week, that the Democratic Party put forth one of the most conservative plans for dealing with uh, issues at the border, and now the Republicans don't want to cooperate with that and help get that thing through because they, if, if they actually take a big part of the problem away, that takes away their bitching point uh, to come after the Democrats and make it look like it, it's all their fault what's going on at the border. Of course. Yeah, I mean, that, that goes exactly to what I'm saying, is that we're going to see this kind of this kind of chicanery happening over this next year um, is an attempt to grind any sort of uh, betterment of the country to a halt just purely for electoral purposes. Right. And so when people are thinking about how they're feeling about the the direction of the country, you have to also question, well, why am I feeling the way I'm feeling? And it may very well be that the answer is because people on the right are working against the best interests of their own constituents for purely realpolitik electoral purposes to reelect or, or to elect 
uh, the former president back into the White House for God knows what reasons. So uh, with, you know, with that, I do want to welcome Gen Z and any other generation to call into the show because we have a call in number. It is 760-677-0111. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this and any other topic that comes up in this show. Or if you happen to be a regular listener and you have thoughts on previous episodes, call in and weigh in on that, too. Uh, We'd love to hear from you tonight. Yeah, and uh, we've got a lot of stuff that we're going to be covering. So we'll be all across the board tonight. And we welcome you to bring topics of your own to the show if you'd like to discuss them with us, uh, get our take or, you know, open it up to everybody who is tuning in. So uh, do give us a shout, 760-677-0111, as Richie said. And we still have, of course, tonight, later on, he's going to be whipping up one of his uh, great libations for us in our Mixology 101 segment uh, much later in the program. And we'll have some recommendations and demerits for you as well. I think tonight we're going to be a little more on the... uh, chiding side of things but we've got a lot of good stuff happening so stay with us this is the gbc happy hour and again that phone number is 760-677-0111 Listening to the happy hour with your hosts Richie Roy and Johnny Mac. Welcome back, everyone. Um, and uh, we are uh, are the the uh, the little bumper coming in uh, is New Year's themed. We are well through January. I'm I can't believe it's almost February. Actually, it's kind of I crazy. know I'm going to change it up this next week as we start to move into February. Maybe a little uh, Valentine's, Valentine's theme. Yeah, <laughs> it'll be love is very, in the air. Very cubity. Yes. <laughs> um, and as the uh, you know, uh, as a, not quite cupid, a little more Grinchy. Uh, so TurboTax uh, recently had a very cute ad um, that has a gay couple in it that uh, they're doing their taxes and. Um, you know, it's totally sweet, whatever, cute. If you visit um, our website this week at gbc.com or gbchappyhour.com, you'll see the loving couple in a photograph there on the show description for this week's show. So, yeah. Yeah. And the ad features a couple, Doug and Andre, a mixed-race male couple, who bought, bought themselves a boater home, a.k.a. a houseboat. And they are filing their taxes as first-time homebuyers. Well... 
this did not sit well with the one million moms, um, which based on their actual social media clout should be like 100 moms. But, you know, we'll set that aside. Uh, they have taken to, uh, you know, the webs to decry this ad. Um Millions of Americans strongly believe marriage should be between one man and one woman, but TurboTax would rather take sides than remain neutral in the culture war. I mean, there's like a like so much to just parse from that just stupid statement. But they go on and on, you know, and talking about redefining family and subjecting families to the decay of morals and values and belittling the sanctity of marriage and pushing the LGBTQ agenda and, you know, all this stuff, glorifying sin. And they got really pissed off because the the ad airs in primetime. So they were worried that children would uh, see this ad and, you know, be, you know, groomed. So it brings up all this stuff, you know, again, uh, something as innocuous as an ad that literally features the existence of a gay couple um, causes a complete meltdown from the moral right. Yeah, well, I want you to keep uh this in mind that while there might be a million mothers who are bitching about this, there's 43 and a half mothers, 43 and a half million other mothers who are not. Right. Yeah. So keep um, and, it in perspective. And, and the thing is this one million moms is, you know, an offshoot of the quote um, of the American Family Association, as oh, it is called, which is virulently anti-gay, anti-queer. Dobson's bull crap. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it's, you know, they, they, they're not the thing is, it's these astroturf kind of fakey things. They have one hundred and eight thousand social media followers on Facebook and Twitter. I mean, this is a flash in the pan. This is a pathetic little you know, sort of temper tantrum group. Yeah. Um, and they use these things to whip up financial support, you know, to get these absolutely. crazy people to send them, you know, checks, probably the people who most cannot afford to do that, but feel, you know, uh, because some preachers said on television, uh, that they need to be worried that, you know, these people are going to jump out of the bushes or out of their trash cans, and <laughs> nab, nab their children and such. You know, it's it's just a a big scam. Yeah, it is. It's I mean, it, it's a scam, and it's also just, um, you know, the the outrage machine. This this kind of like that not only generates money, but kind of keeps keeps the the wedge issues a wedgin. You know, just um, because you know, at the end of the day. Uh, you know, gay marriage is legal. It's, you know, it was you know, the Supreme Court in Obergefell, you know, basically was like, hello, gay, gay marriage is legal. Um, and that is the law of the land. Um, and as we saw in the previous segment, you know, uh, nearly a third of uh, Gen Z identifies as LGBTQ. And so really, um, you know, th this is done and dusted, but you have this really small rump you know, minority of, of people who just cannot get it in their heads that they've lost this battle. I don't know why they don't just change their name to something that's honest, you know, like one million mothers who hate their children. <laughs> it's also, you know, you find these things like, like moms, was it moms for Liberty, yeah. right? 
And the person who's in charge of it or was in charge of it until recently, who I think was basically like taken out because he was a total cretin, uh, was a dude. You know, this is it's all astroturf. One million moms is, you know, part of this AFA. And I can guarantee yeah, you that you know, it was one of those sanctity of marriage kind of things. And and, you know, they were having three ways, uh, the wife right. and him and and, uh, you know, their favorite woman du jour. Yeah, no. So, you know, uh, one million moms is, you know, one hundred and eight thousand randos you know, online that, yeah. so <laughs> I feel like that, you know, that should be their name, uh, or, you know, who knows, but, uh, you know, it sounds very impressive. 1 million moms. Yeah. Um, Maybe they should just call themselves 1 million people who can't get fucked. I mean, it's like, I mean, you can call yourself whatever you want. It's just, you know, and it doesn't have any validity there. They just, I can guarantee you, they do not have 1 million moms in their ranks. I mean, I could call, you know, the GBC happy hour fans, you know, 1 trillion, you know, uh, 1 trillion supporters, right. <laughs> you know? Um, and at the end of the day, that's not what reality is. You know, 1 million moms is just a little flash in the pan. And the thing is, I, the fact that this news story, I mean, we're talking about it. I know that. But um, that in some ways, uh, it's just it's just the fact that these people get oxygen somehow that like one million moms because they've been around for a while, you know, and and they've been covered for things like uh, having moral outrage at Parents Magazine for featuring a same sex couple, an anti smoking ad that mentioned erectile dysfunction. Highlights magazine for acknowledging gay people, Scholastic Books for featuring LGBTQ children's books, Roseanne for featuring a non-binary child. The list goes on and on. They've been paid attention to for years. And why? There, there's no good reason. I mean, they're not they don't they're not reflective of anything other than a, a small handful of creeps and crazies. Yeah. I mean, so with that, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna put a, a moratorium on mentioning one million moms on this show going forward because screw them. I mean, they don't matter, and 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 I can't believe that that these little pockets of people can have such outsized, you know, uh, influence. From GBC.com, this is the Happy Hour with your hosts Richie Roy. And Johnny Mack, your source for conversation, current events, culture, and all things LGBTQ. I'm sorry for clipping you off, Richie. No worries, no worries. We <laughs> we had to get get our commercial in, but um, uh, you know, speaking of that, we had a little news update, and uh, and uh, it made me think that um, the Texas governor, I I would love for him to just go play in a patch of razor wire himself. Yeah. For those who were not listening live, the story that uh, came across the network was about the fact that uh, there's a, a skirmish going on between the federal and the state government right now. Um, California, or I'm sorry, Texas's governor has uh, told his uh, national guard na national guardsmen to continue to roll out the razor wire along the uh, Texas-Mexico border and. Uh, that's not the way it's supposed to go down, according to the folks at Homeland Security. So it yeah. does seem a little and, extreme. And, hey, let's and, we we're 
the country that has a party that believes wholeheartedly in um, in the sanctity of life and being pro-life, but we want to we want to slice and dice you to death if you come across our border. You're not a human right. being. You're a you're just a, a alien. Well, and and it's also <clears throat> not only are they doing that, but but Governor Abbott wrote a you know a letter that's essentially a, a, an act of treason, you know, to the federal government saying that you know that because they believe that the federal government isn't you know upholding the constitution that they're going to take it into their own hands you know it's essentially kind of this like mini secession kind of vibe that's yeah. going on in texas and that letter was um there was approvals from a, a bunch of republican governors today of, of that letter so you know just this kind of like rumbling kind of like low-key civil war vibe going on thanks to you know the saber rattling of you know this pathetic governor um you know because he because he believes that again you know because he can raise money on this because it's a wedge issue because it's something going into the election that Trump can play into so yeah, you know it's mega all militias gross. what was that and the mega militias exactly which is basically yeah. all so, the trumpers yeah yeah um but so that's that was that's the context of my little statement about you know playing with razor wire um but to 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 switch gears a little bit um there's a story out of Italy of things going actually uh, right um, after things went not so right. So this is in the Italian uh, publication La Stampa. And uh, there was an 18-year-old uh, boy whose father read his diary when he was 14 and found out that the boy was gay. The dad forced him to go for runs in the middle of the night, banned him from shaving, made him show his genitals to him and made him read his diary out loud, took over his social media, controlled who he spoke to and where he went. And, uh, and the father went to, to a psychologist to try to find, you know, basically someone to fix his son. And it's the, and the psychologist was like, um, no, there's nothing wrong with being gay. So the dad told his son that he had a month to prove to him that he had slept with a girl. The teen went to his school psychologist for help. And now the father's been sentenced to two years in prison. And the mother was sentenced to one year and four months for witnessing this abuse and not doing anything to stop it. And you know so, what? I hope that the guy, mm -hmm. and I, I don't believe in... Uh, Generally, I don't believe in things like this, but I mean, uh, I hope that the guy learns a lesson or two and becomes um, Bubba's girlfriend while he's locked up. Right. I mean, the thing is, unfortunately, there isn't probably going to be actual jail time. The judge granted a suspension of the sentence if the parents take a year-long psychological and remedial course, oh, uh, which, Jesus. you know, hopefully they they that they that actually they'll take any of it to heart um but the reason why i thought the story was interesting is first of all it's in a country where there's been kind of you know sort of a a far right you know sort of government in place that actually has been not great on gay rights right. and so it's interesting to see though that you know there is even in a place where there's kind of um not the most fertile ground for pro gay 
uh, you know, activities that, you know, that the sort of the courts and the schools and a lot of institutions are still kind of mindful of that, at least at the very minimum, that this type of behavior rises to the level of child abuse. Doesn't the current prime minister have some uh, blood relation back to Mussolini? Does, I think does she, she does, and definitely the party that she um, is part of, which is the Brothers of Italy party, um, uh, was Mussolini's political band. Oh, God. Yeah. yeah, so, you know, the reason why I, I thought this story was interesting is because it highlights a couple things. One is the importance of... Um, the importance of things in this in, in this country of things like um, bans on on gay conversion therapy, right? You know, because that this is essentially the dad was running his own kind of you know armchair ex gay conversion therapy program at home, right? Um, and they all tend to be weird in the same way that this stuff about shaving and not and showing your genitals and going on runs and all. I mean, that that stuff that sounds like it's out of the, you know, the the classic Exodus era, you know, ex-gay camps. Yeah. If that were my dad doing that, I would have just taken a crap in his face when I bent over. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, I, I just think it highlights, you know, the importance, first of all, of, of things like. Um, bans on conversion therapy and also highlights the dangers of 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 places like Florida and other states where they are they're passing legislation that requires uh, school like teachers and psychologists and stuff to report to parents if let's say a student tells them that they uh, that they identify with a different pronoun than than their birth pronoun or other types of expressions of of queerness or sexual difference, um, you know, th these these are kind of part and parcel of all of these anti-LGBTQ rafts of legislation that are going through states. And what you have there is, you know, here in this case, the, psych the school psychologist was a person who was a, a benefit and a source of help and solace for this this youth. What you would have in in places like Florida and other states is if this student came to the school psychologist and said, I'm you know, I'm I'm worried because my my parents are treating are abusing me because I'm gay. They would now be required to then report to the parent that the that the student said that they are gay and report and, and came to them, essentially putting them in the in you know in the crosshairs for way. further abuse. Yeah. Absolutely, that's it. It's just it's unfathomable for most of us. Um, and I'm sure that we have people who are among those who listen in, uh, certainly among our friends who we've met and gotten to know somewhat through spaces and things like that, that have had relationships like that with their families. And and it always every time I hear these stories about somebody who's had to put up with that kind of abuse uh, in their youth or even into their adulthood, uh, it it just makes me sick to my stomach. Uh, I recall that there was one person who was hanging out with us in spaces like maybe half a year or a year ago who lived in the Midwest and was living with family and was somebody who was, you know, um, uh, I think this was somebody who was uh, 
on the spectrum, and for that reason, they relied on having the help of family and being able to stay in their home, but was themselves an adult who was in, I think, the 30s, maybe even early 40s, and who was living with adult parents, uh, you know, who were basically grandparent age, and they wouldn't let the person leave the house or do this or that. And I just, I wanted to come out of my skin when I heard these stories. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, it, this is why, again, you know, I feel like all the stories, there's a little bit of a through line tonight um, because the reality is you look at them at the metrics, you look at the demographics, there are more LGBTQ youth than ever before. And, but what we're seeing is an attempt to, through the book bans, through these bills that require disclosure from school teachers and psychologists, if, if a student expresses any kind of, you know, gender dysphoria or any kind of, you know, gender uh, difference to, to immediately go to the parents or face, you know, penalties and, you know, loss of their job and, and all kinds of things. Um, is that you have this essentially quixotic desire to put the genie back in the bottle. I mean, when you have 30, you know, 28% of Gen Z adults, these are Gen Z adults who are identifying as LGBTQ. And we're not talking even about Generation Alpha. You know, this 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 is a an attempt to just turn turn away from reality you know all of this stuff all the book bans all of these laws are just an attempt to turn away from you know the undisputable reality that that queerness is is a actually at this point kind of a bedrock feature of our of our modern world and our nation yeah you know there are a lot of places that we think are, you know, uh, very much along the lines of the United States, maybe even better, um, that are in Europe and elsewhere that have had, uh, you know, some degree of democracy. But it it's crazy how this world has changed so much in such a short period of time that places that we've always thought of being in systems relatively like our own have gone have gone in this direction and at the hands of people who are you know fascists or you know interested in you know basically creating uh autocracies and the the degree to which everything that you would think would be just the opposite of what would be happening as we would uh expand as a you know, as society in general is going backwards. And it's it's a very scary thing to see something like that and other things that are happening, like right now in Italy, they're having problems with issues around LGBT families and the rights of parents who are queer. And, you know, it's not just, uh, you know, will a parent uh, be able to get away with mistreating a child like this? But, you know, things far worse are happening and people are having to think about fleeing uh, the country there. 
And, you know, I feel like we're going through the same thing here. I don't know how many of my friends actually did leave the United States when the former president was elected um, because they saw the handwriting on the wall. I have friends who moved to a few different countries. And yet it's, you know, being feared even more now. And, of course, those people would love for that to happen because they want their problems to be gone. They want those people who believe in in having this kind of, uh, I don't know, um, monarchy style of rule. It's stupid. And I just, I wish that people could get their collective heads together and realize what the truth is. Have to hear things that are only the truth and not be exposed to, you know, all this stuff that, uh, amounts to mostly, uh, you know, conspiracy theories and and lies and BS that's being fed, you know, because if it comes out of the speakers, it must be true. Well, that is true so long as you're listening to me and Richie. 760-677-0111 is our phone number. Any of these things we've been talking about, if you'd like to weigh in tonight, we'd love to have you here on the GBC Happy Hour with us. 760-677-0111. We'd love to hear from you. Yeah, and we'd love to hear from you because unlike uh, unlike some of the moves uh, you know, on the right, this is not an autocracy. Uh, we like to hear other voices, um, and uh, you know, I think you know we will uh, we will come back and bring you some more stories in the uh, rest of the show, and uh, we hope to hear from you about what you're what you've heard so far and uh, what your take is. Yep, and um, coming up next, we're going to the little piggy farm called Oklahoma. Stay with us. <laughs> Everyone listening to this show is gay. Nope. Some are lesbians, while others are bi, trans, intersex, queer, questioning, two-spirit. <gasps> Shit. Let me catch my breath here. Me? I'm the voice of God. And for the record, your Mr. Announcer Man is straight. Yep. Wife, two dogs, white picket fence, and from Jersey. See? Everyone loves Richie and Johnny. Even us. After all... It is the Gay BC Happy Hour. Welcome back, everyone. <laughs> and uh, and uh, this story, I mean, actually, of all the stories this week, um, and actually even of the past few weeks, this one, like, my head flew off and just, like, exploded like, you know, fireworks. It was just, th- this one just really got my blood boiling. I have to tell you a little story before you start into this. Uh Um, This morning, I was in a space and somebody was talking about something and I went and looked at something on their Twitter feed 
and it exposed me to a video of, and don't be surprised that I see this stuff from time to time. Somebody was actually on their hands and knees and the camera was pointed at their backside. Before you get too weirded out, I will say that it was a video taken in a medical practice office. And in fact, well, it was actually one of those laser clinics. And it turns out that it was two miles down the road from my home. (laughs) And somebody who lives here in the greater Palm Springs area was having the, um, the hairs removed from around their sphincter. And what was funny about this video was not so so much, you know, that it was looking at somebody's backside um, while they were having the hair removed, but it was the, the detail that you could see in the video because as this laser would flash, all these hairs would, like, go up in smoke, literally. And, and it was just amusing to watch that and to see that um, somebody... Uh, in that practice, who I happen to know the owner of, um, that they would allow this kind of video to be shot in their in their room. And so I was thinking that pretty much describes like how I felt. I felt like my hair was going up in smoke when I read this story. Yeah, I mean, and and I mean, you would talk talk about a clenched butthole here, Jesus. Um, right. So let's just get into this. So Ryan Walters, who is the right wing superintendent of the Oklahoma State Department of Education, has appointed Chaya Rychik, uh, who goes by the name Libs of TikTok on social media, to serve on the Department of Education's Library Media Advisory Committee. Now, if you've not heard of Chaya Rychik or Libs of TikTok, um, you should know who this person is. Uh, Rychik, who, by the way, does not live in Oklahoma, posts um, regularly posts things, videos on, you know, Twitter and on TikTok and, you know, all over the place um, that targets LGBTQ uh, allies, educators, kids, what have you. Um, and and these posts, which um, you know are, are troll posts essentially, have led to countless bomb and death threats against schools, teachers, students, literally children's hospitals have gotten bomb and death threats because of you know anti-trans uh, you know troll posts that this right chick person has posted as libs of TikTok. Um, and actually, two of the schools that got bomb th- and death threats are in Oklahoma themselves, actually. Um, and so this Ryan Walters, I mean, troll Niplu Ultra, has literally gotten someone who is not an expert on books, not an expert on curriculum or children's psychology or anything, and is rather an anti-gay troll to serve on the Library Media Advisory Committee, the committee that decides what state public school students are allowed to read. Um, And the statement from Walters really says it all about who this dickhead is. Chaya is on the front line showing the world exactly what the radical left is all about. Lowering standards, porn in schools, and pushing woke indoctrination on our kids. Oh, please. 
She just needs to loosen her sphincter. Um, it's, it's it's just outrageous. I mean, it's outrageous. It's also just I mean you know we, we talk about America as you know this the the fact that we're kind of a, a government of, of you know. Uh, a collection of states, right? You know, and each state is sort of a laboratory of democracy. Well, this particular laboratory, Oklahoma, ranks 48th in the nation for education. I wonder why. Right. Because it's because of assholes like this Walters person. Um, well, Rachel, uh, she has been, uh, her, her account, the, the TikTok account, Libs of TikTok, has been connected to 11 school bombing threats 11 mm-hmm. 11 when, when it, i'm sorry but you know when like the old saying goes where there's smoke there's fire right you know i mean at this point in time the authorities should be taking her in and and uh you know she is a public menace she says that uh oh, well she claims that she's merely sharing information and can't control how people will respond, you know? So I guess, you know, if somebody starts walking into a hospital with uh, AR-15 and, you know, several clips and handguns and whatnot and just starts shooting everybody up, she had nothing to do with that, even though she's the one who lit the fuse. Right. No, it's, it's this, yeah, this n- not even plausible deniability. It's, it's just ludicrous. It's just this kind of, well, I just put stuff up on the internet. I mean, but you know, Rychik is, is absolutely disgusting. And, and I mean, you know, the blood is blood is on her hands, you know, just sort of perpetually because of the nature of the kind of troll violence, violence inducing trolling that she does day in and day out. But this Walters, I mean, let's not like, like let's really focus also on him for yeah, a second of course. because He's- he wants to ban gay books, but also wants to teach the Bible in public school history classes. Um, he's pushed this this fake thing about schools uh, providing litter boxes to students because there's furries. Um, there, he's called teachers unions terrorist organizations. Uh, he's Ill- illegally tried to make rules banning gay books and transgender bathroom access. He's appeared at events hosted by Moms for Liberty. I mean, he really runs the gamut of being just an absolute shithead and uh, and, and 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 antithetical to the to the even goals of the, you know, Department of Education that he's the head of, um, you know, because he also is, uh, has received money, uh, you know, uh, while being the education secretary received, uh, a bunch of money in pay to serve as the director of Every Kid Counts Oklahoma, which is funded by advocates for public charter, private charter schools. So he's, you know, at the same time as he's running you know, sort of the Department of Education for the state, he's essentially uh, being paid to advocate for the dismantling of public education. So this guy really takes the cake. I mean, if we want to talk about demerits, I mean, just the he's the the apotheosis of this kind of um, Republican conservative, you know, take it down from the inside type of thing where he's he's essentially just trying to destroy public education, which he's supposed to be the, the, the custodian of. Right. No, that's that's absurd. And, you know, collecting taxpayer dollars to destroy the very system he's running, That's that, that just really, as you say, takes the cake here. It takes the cake. And it, it goes, I mean, it's part of I this mean, playbook. It's part. 
Here's one of his tweets. No one has done more to expose what the radical left is all about than at Chaya Rachik 10 and at libs for, uh, or pardon me, lo, lo, <laughs> libs of TikTok. Uh, Hers is a powerful voice to protect Oklahoma kids from porn in schools and woke indoctrination. I'm proud to have her on our team. I don't remember porn in school. I, I miss that course. I, you know, I remember lit being something else. I mean, but this goes back though to exactly the, the the issue that we talk about every week with the book bands. Porn in schools. What that means is, is books that that actually talk about that that queer people exist. They round that. That is pornography in in the minds of people like this. Walters, the existence of gay people is pornographic itself in nature, and so any content, any. Even you know, gay the existence of gay parents, the existence of gay teachers, the existence of gay people in books is pornography. Did you read this uh, paragraph uh, that was quoted from KOCO Television uh, in their reporting on all this stuff? Uh, they said no. when running for his current office, Walters said that he wanted his state's teachers to quote undergo patriotic education offered by a conservative Christian college because quote. Our students are not taught history, but instead are taught indoctrination. Instead, taught this country is an evil place full of bigoted racists. End quote. Well, dude, it is, and it has been. <laughs> and indoctrination, homophobes like you. Yeah, indoctrination. <laughs> you mean reading the Bible to these kids? Ridiculous. Oh my God! You know, freedom of religion is also freedom from religion stay with us we've got another hour of fun conversation coming your way on the gbc happy hour i'm johnny mack i'm richie roy our phone number is 760-677-0111 if you want to jump in and tell us what you're going to do to stop a out of control oklahoma superintendent of public education You know it's going to be a lively year of talk on the GBC Happy Hour. A rerun of the 2020 election shenanigans with several indictments to be resolved. At least there are these two not letting any of that MAGA BS fly. Right, fellas? Richie Roy and Johnny Mac. Welcome right. back to the Happy Hour. <laughs> And we aren't letting any of that fly. You know who else is not letting a lot of stuff fly, I have to say, are the judges in the various cases that the former president is embroiled in across this nation. <laughs> yeah, I'm um, not really, I, I have not paid that close of attention to where each of the cases is right now uh, because it just, you know, it's so much muck in the news, but I probably should be a little more aware. Um, has anybody given him the smackdown yet? I mean, the the a bunch of a, a number of the judges and you know the 
this you know, the uh, court of appeals, you know, was you know has handed him you know his ass several times so far, you know, in these kind of uh, you know in these attempts to try to you know retrade things that the lower courts are doing. The second circuit's like, nope, you know, <laughs> sorry. You know, it's interesting. And, He's got that uh-huh. one big thing that's coming up before the United States Supreme Court. I think this next month which is going to have to make a decision about whether or not um, he is making a legitimate claim about having immunity for everything while he's for any president. And, right. uh, and I heard a really interesting thing. I, I have not listened to anything that, that has been done uh, by an old voice uh, from the MSNBC past, but Keith Olbermann, uh, in uh. a long time, but I did happen to catch something that was on YouTube the other day because apparently he's doing an ongoing show, The Countdown, there. And uh, and he made a really interesting point. If, in fact, Trump prevails, that would give Joe Biden unfettered ability to smack Trump down and to have him locked up and to do so without any sort of retribution to him. And, I mean, of course that's not going to happen. And that's not the kind of person that Biden is. But the fact of the matter is, is that, you know, what's good for the goose has to be good for the gander. So basically he'd be opening up a whole, uh, you know, nest of hornets if, in fact, the Supreme Court ruled in his favor. And for that reason, I think that it's highly unlikely, as most legal scholars have said, that even as conservative as the Supremes are made up to be, they're not going to give him what he wants uh, with regards to that. Yeah. I mean, it'll be that'll be an interesting thing to see. You know, uh, but... You know, we just when we were coming up with the the segments for uh, this week, uh, we thought it'd be a fun a fun one to kind of to to switch from kind of current events to talk about something a little more um, kind of ongoing, which is uh, the importance in uh, in this country, uh, especially of advertising in terms of moving LGBTQ rights forward. Or for you know, or for responding to anti-gay uh, sentiments, um, and you know, one of the places where that can really play out, actually, and has played out, um, both you know, for LGBTQ folks and also against, but is the role of the billboard. It's yeah. interesting. Um, billboards are this kind of like classic, you know, American method of of communication um, because we're always driving places. And, you know, when, when you're crisscrossing the country, um, you know, you're 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 going at 55 or 65 miles an hour. And these billboards are these kind of cinematically huge advertisements. And um, they have been a useful tool in the fight for LGBTQ rights over time. Um, uh, I remember that there was uh, in in LA years ago, um, there was a billboard that was like over the Sunset Strip that was a Felix Gonzalez Torres um, piece of art that was just a bed, a picture of a bed. And, you know, it was sort of uh, kind of a, a meditation on loss and death, you know, because of AIDS. And it was just, you know, kind of a piece of, you know, for, for a certain amount of money, you can rent out a billboard and you can say what you want. 
And so it's also this kind of very classically American, you know, money as speech. You know, if you can pay for the billboard, they're agnostic for the most part. Put up what you want. And so it's just an interesting it was an interesting story. This is on LGBTQ Nation. And they kind of talk about um, some of the the history of using things like billboards, Instagram, um, you know, certain uh, sort of social media campaigns um, to to kind of counteract hate, to to raise gay visibility, trans visibility. And um, I just thought it was kind of a cool a cool topic because I think that, you know, we've talked on the in the past on this show about the importance back in the day of things like, you know, Subaru's campaigns um, that really kind of was early an early move in terms of sort of nodding to the existence of gay consumers and, and also just kind of validating gay existence as uh, as something, you know, worth paying attention to. And at the same time, there's also, a, you know, there's always kind of a backlash, which is to say, at what point is it pandering? And at what point is it kind of, you know, treating the, you know, the LGBTQ population as just a pocket, you know, as, as an open wallet? So I just thought this was an interesting topic because, you know, we, we're so bombarded with advertisements, whether billboards or Instagram feed ads or whatever. And at the same time, um, it's a way to get messages out and, you know, uh, in certain parts of the country where you might not see it on TV, you can still afford a billboard. Yeah. Um, of course, if you really want to make an impact, you usually have to, you know, buy more than one. But uh, I can see that. I mean, I think it cuts both ways. There have been times when certain outdoor advertising companies have refused to take some advertising because they their management may not agree with the perspective of the of the advertiser um, and or they may feel like it's too inappropriate for their marketplace mm-hmm. uh, I've seen situations happen like that here or um, I live in a community where they actually just this past year, uh, announced that there is uh, now a moratorium on billboards and that uh, over uh, the period of the next couple of years, uh, billboards have to come out along certain uh, roadways because you cannot advertise within the city limits on a billboard. So, um, you know, I I think it it is sometimes an effective way. I know when I li- lived in Tucson uh, for a while when I was a kid that um, – one of the major thoroughfares there, Speedway Boulevard, had, I think, more billboards per capita than, you know, for the distance than anywhere else in the United States. And a lot of people just considered it to be, you know, cluttered and junk. But, um, but yeah, I think if you, if you know how to do and say something with, um, with an image and or a very few words. And this kind of plays into what I think, um, taking it back for a moment, and I'm sorry to take it back to politics for a second, but, you know, this is one of the things that the Democrats really lack uh, is that they don't have a four or five or six word slogan that is easy uh, to make a point with, like uh, the other side does with four words with, you know, make America great again. And 
I think you have to have a point to come to. And if you can actually hit somebody's nerves or their, you know, hit their emotions with a sign that they see day in and day out driving down the road, yeah, it can certainly have a very uh, positive impact. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, there's there's one example in the, in the news story about um, San Bernardino County, uh, a Republican congressional candidate put up an anti-transgender billboard, and, uh, and the community group got some money together and put up another billboard and it said transgender people deserve health care support justice safety love and so it is it's kind of it's kind of the discourse writ large you know and there's a picture um in the lgbtq nations news story of the billboard and it you know it's just it's kind of a nice looking billboard but um it, it just you know i think it just highlights that the fact that advertising has this outsized role you know in in American culture. I mean, it's, it's, you know, we've talked in the past about things like the explosive outrage whenever there's an ad, for instance, Gillette has an ad that shows a trans man shaving, you know, something like that. I mean, people go absolutely ballistic. Um, you know, it, it's something like, uh, you know, in the same realm, the, the whole Bud Light uh, kerfuffle. Right. Um, you know, with the, with the trans influencer. Um, that just there's this idea in in this country that it's it, it just like it, it's this lightning rod advertising and brand brand speech is like extremely explosively important in the American psyche. For sure. And I mean, I just read a story last week. Budweiser is still paying uh, pretty hard for. Uh, for what happened as a result of that advertising campaign for Bud Light. But um, that's not going to be forever, you know? Well, it, well, two things. One, two things. It won't be forever. Three things. Okay. And one, it won't be forever. Two, it wasn't even a campaign. It was they sent one commemorative can to a, an, a media influencer, which they had right. done with many, many other influencers. It was just that that was picked up by the outrage, you know, the outrage machine on the right and blown up out of proportion. Three, it's it's a question. I'm sure that the outrage machine did have some effect on Bud Light's bottom line. At the same time, the real thing on Bud Light's bottom line is that no one's drinking that beer because everyone who used to drink that is now drinking White Claw and other hard seltzers because people don't – like if you're going to be wanting to be – <laughs> there, there, you know, there's a lot of sort of research on this that light beer is basically – that whole market is really being supplanted by hard seltzers because people who are sort of looking at calories and wanting to have an alcoholic beverage are turning to much more delicious options like hard seltzers as opposed to kind of nasty, bland-tasting light beers. So it's 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 just kind of – I think it was a, a, a one-two punch for them of the outrage machine and just that that is a sector of the market that is in contraction. Right. And, and I think that the people on the right who want to get a win will point to like, oh, look, their sales are going down. Well, the sales maybe were going down already because it's a product that is not really that popular anymore. Um, I don't know. It's just 
but, yeah, you but can't to sit go back on your to... mark or on your uh, marketplace laurels forever. I mean, that you know, it changes in everything. Right, um, but uh, but it does go to yeah, it goes to show that that you know the, this kind of um, the commercial speech is really actually has a, a really plays a big role in this country. Um, you know, it, let's let's we just talked about it two segments or three segments ago, the TurboTax thing. Right. You know, um, this is an innocuous ad that just shows that just reflects the reality that there are gay couples on you know that exist. And it causes a meltdown. Um, the Gillette ads, you know, we've talked about the Gillette ads in the past as well, you know, featuring, you know, trans men, people melt down on the right. They don't, it, it's like the the fact that advertising try, is trying to make money. And it actually, I think it's just really, it makes people crazy that there is, that there is money to be made off of a, off of a population that does actually exist. It's like, it kind of just like, it gives the lie because they want to, they want to think that gays don't exist, that queer people don't exist and aren't real and can just be willed away. Um, well, but guess what? the money shows <laughs> otherwise. You know, it, and that plays off of the very first story that we did tonight too, you know. 28% of the youngest generation, well, um, voting... The youngest adult generation, yeah. yeah. Youngest adult generation uh, is, you know, is queer, queer-friendly. And get over it. It's just... Those days are gone. Even well, and if the, the reason, people and, who and don't the, think so are still here... They're done. Well, and that's why, you know, again, and we were talking about the, you know, when you think about places like Italy and the kind of the far right wing there, and you look at, you know, places, you know, you know other places in Europe, and in this country, too, a move towards autocratic, anti-democratic rule. It's because the people who are, who are in in favor of autocracy and anti-democratic rule know that they can't win in a fair fight because they're not espousing values that the majority or even a plurality of people believe in, you know, yeah. uh, you know, when you're when they look at the writing on the wall, when they see Generation Z, let alone Generation Alpha being generally not highly religious and generally, you know, queer, you know, a lot of queer folk and a lot of support for queer folk, um, they they're seeing their power waning, and what and they know that if they can't win in a fair fight, well, what do you do? You change the rules of the game. You 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 know you you do things like in this country, work very hard to, uh, you know, gerrymander to uh, try to 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 purge the voter rolls to make it harder to register to vote and take you know try to take as many people off of the rolls as possible first of all and then um you know you you dis you you discredit dem democratic voting full stop you know democracy you know as being rigged and fake and you know and uh full of fraudulence because you're not going to win. And so when you lose, you then at least can, you know, can say, oh, well, we didn't win because the game is wrong. Um, and ultimately, where does that lead to 
to a move against democracy and a move against, you know, voting and a a move against the kind of form of government we've chosen. Right. Stay with us. We've got more to come on the GBC Happy Hour with Richie Roy and Johnny Mac. And we're going to be talking next about, uh, well, our one of our two favorite states in the union uh, in a little bit of trouble with the United Nations. Stay with us. not always laughter and games on the GBC Happy Hour with Richie Roy and Johnny Mac, but when it is, you'll know when it's time to cut them off. Now, back to the beer pong. Uh, I mean show. Boys? <laughs> Thank you, Howard. Welcome back. Yeah, welcome back, everyone. Again, I'll just throw that number out there. I know we've got some folks listening tonight. I've heard, uh, from a few on the Twitter sphere, but the number is 760-677-0111. If you want to weigh in on anything we've talked about tonight or uh, want to tell us what the weather's like in your neck of the woods, uh, <laughs> uh, give us a call. Um, but meanwhile, while we're waiting to see if anyone wants to chime in, um, this is a, I thought this is an interesting story, an interesting tactic. So um, several gay queer advocacy groups have filed a petition with the UN claiming that Texas has violated international human rights laws with they its have. passage yeah well they have i mean yeah with its passage of a bunch of anti gay anti queer laws last year so it's uh it's called a letter of allegation um this this letter um this petition which was signed by glad the ACLU of Texas, Equality Texas, Human Rights Campaign, and UT uh, Austin School of Law Human Rights Clinic. And uh, the letter was submitted to a bunch of experts, working groups, special rapporteurs at the UN. And essentially what they're saying is that the Texas legislature has targeted the queer community through these laws and that these laws have disrupted or will disrupt the ability of queer people to effectuate their rights. Um, and are a systematic attack on the fundamental rights, dignities, and identities of LGBTQIA plus persons, opening the gates for discrimination by public and private actors. So this is true. It's interesting. This is just an interesting, I've not heard of this particular tactic before, but basically kind of shaming Texas on the international stage and specifically calling them out and just saying, you know, you know, that these anti-trans bills, anti-gay bills, you know, bills that ban diversity programs at public universities, bills that ban gender affirming care for transgender minors uh, and forced detransitioning, um, you know, uh, banning transgender students from school sports, just the whole gamut of things um, that is essentially just, you know, a, a, a sort of standing human rights violation in a, you know, to a level that should really reach the United Nations. <laughs> it's a pretty it's pretty ballsy. I actually really like this approach. I mean, and why would that not apply 
to all of the <coughs> other stuff that they do in that state too that um, impacts refugees from other nations all around the world. That's a great point. I mean, I mean trying the, the to come whole... across at the Rio Grande. Yeah, no. It, I mean, I, I think that it, I, what I, what I like is this is a, I think this is a new sort of opening a new breach, right? A new tactic, yeah. um, which is really to, uh, because, you know, if, if, if states like, especially Texas, because with this recent letter about immigration, Texas is basically just saying we are in derogation of, fe of, of federal law. We don't even believe in federalism, you know, because we're just going to, you know, do our own thing you know, federal law be damned um, and the existence of the United Nations be damned. You know, supremacy clause idea. be damned. I have a great idea. Yeah. I say that we should, if if the president becomes reelected, I think that we should sell Texas and Florida to Mexico. Like a buck 99. Sell it? Yeah. It's sell, I mean... I would put I would put those on, up on the Facebook Marketplace for free. Yeah. Well, I mean, they yeah. could have Texas back since that was theirs, but for for free. Yeah. I mean, if anything, you know, the, we should be paying them. Just be like, hey, sorry, have this back. Like, yeah. yuck. <laughs> it's just it's outrageous. Um, and they and need a good. They need a really good uh, airport besides. Uh, the one in Tijuana uh, in northern Mexico anyway. So they could have DFW and Houston. Yeah, enjoy them. Yeah. Enjoy those Enjoy those airports, Even Austin. I guess. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, we'd have to move some hubs, I think. Um, is is it DFW an, an American hub? American, and, uh, and uh, it's uh, United uh, in Houston at uh, George H.W. Bush Airport. Unbelievable. Yeah. Yep. Um, but yeah, so I just think this is a cool tactic. Um, I'd you even know, let them, if, if they take over the state of Texas, I'd let them even rename it after Ted Cruz. Oh, gross. Yeah. Um, I don't know about all that. <laughs> I don't care. Just make him have to go with it. Yeah, but um, no, but just generally, I, I think that this is a cool approach. I'd like to see more of this, more kind of naming and shaming on the international stage. Um, you know, Why Florida obviously should be in the crosshairs of this as well. Uh, thinking about taking this a step further, why couldn't uh, Texas also be on the hook with, say, the, the Hague for war crimes? It's a good question. I mean... Right. That's what I'm saying is I think that this is an interesting thing um, is like sort of taking states at their words, because normally, you know, the United States is the is the kind of the um, that is the nation. That's the country in question. Well, I'm thinking when, about, you know, what they've done in terms of flying these um, groups of migrants to places and then just letting them off, you know, in the snow with no coats, you know. Uh, courtesy of the cooperation between the Texas and the Florida governors. Right. But what I'm saying is that normally when we think about the uh, nations, we think about the, you know, the United States or whatever countries, but it, it, when you have states that are essentially acting as kind of rogue counter states, then treat them as such and subject them to, 
international shame. Right. All for it. Absolutely all for it. Well, we're going to continue with the GBC Happy Hour. And coming up next, um, there's some things we're not exactly all that happy about in terms of service and quality. So we're going to get into the seal of approval or disapproval. And we'll invite you to check in with us as well. Again, our phone number, if you want to participate, is 760-677-0111. 760-677-0111, the GBC Happy Hour. The GBC Radio Network presents the weekly public service, the GBC Happy Hour Seal of Approval. Does it fly or does it die? Products, services, and customer service that will turn you on or turn you off. Does the cup runneth over or has the well gone dry? Richie and Johnny, take it away. Hello and welcome back to the Happy Hour. And yes, we are going into our segment of recommendations and demerits. And I, depending on how much time we have, I do have a recommendation, but I have to say, you know, and I usually do a recommendation, uh, but this week I'm going to do a little bit of a demerit actually. And it's a demerit for a company that I use quite a bit. And that is Google. Google's getting a demerit from me this week. Uh Uh-oh. Yeah. The big G is in the dunk they're in tank. The, they're in the dunk tank this week. I mean, so actually, I mean, they've been in the dunk tank before for me. But so I have a Nest, uh, I have a bunch of Nest products in my house. I have Nest thermostats. I have Nest cameras. And I have the Nest Secure, which is their home security system. They've somebody decided, break in? What? Did somebody break in? No, no one's broken in. Okay. But but they might as well because Google has decided that um or Google decided a little while ago, but it's it's coming up that as of April, Google Secure, which is or Nest Secure, which is the security system, is a brick. It they are it's not supported, it won't work anymore. It's just gonna be broken. So uh, you know, anyone who is invested in the Nest Secure ecosystem, you're out of luck. Sorry. Um, this happens just, all the time with them. And like, that's what that's why they get the demerit, because it's one thing. I mean, this is one thing, right? And this is actually one thing that also was kind of an expensive product. And and Nest was a was a standalone company that had robust package of, of wonderful products over time that Google has, since they bought it, has basically just kind of dismantled and made kind of useless. Yeah. Um, because what, you know, what I could do is I had the Nest app, and I could go in the Nest app, I could see my thermostats, I could see my smoke detectors, I could see my security system, and I could see my cameras in one app, a beautiful app, it worked perfect. So is all that going out the door or just the security part? Just the security part as of now, I mean, but who's to yeah. say? Because the thing is, they have a long and storied history of rolling out products 
and and really sort of being splashy about it and getting people hooked into that part of the ecosystem and then dumping it like a hot potato. I mean, one of the hugest was Google Reader, um, which was an RSS feed reader that um, I mean, I used extremely extensively. I that was kind of my dashboard for years. And then they were like, yeah, we're getting rid of it. You know, Google, I think it was Google Notebook, Google G Plus, Google Hangouts. I mean, you name it, Google Stadia. They just have a history of of coming yeah, out with new products, and getting you hooked into your life, and then dumping them unceremoniously on short order. Absolutely. And it, it concerns me because uh, my parents' home is also a Nest home. And, you know, and I... I was so irritated with them when they also got rid of, you know, basically their equivalent of the, uh, you know, the Alexa, sorry, app or (laughs) or device. You know, I mean, all that changed too. I mean, there's still some derivative of it, but, um, you know, and even with uh, the shows, the various other shows that we produce, uh, I think that this was the last show I actually registered with uh, Google Podcasts um, because that too went away or is in the process of going away. They're taking it out of service uh, next month. And Unbelievable. You know, and it's just yeah. like, why do you start things and then, you know, dump them? If... You know, well, it, people just should not trust them until something has been there and succeeded for five years. Well, that's the thing is that is that there's no longevity. And what this really, I mean, I have to say that this is a kind of a broader issue I have with, I think, that this kind of Silicon Valley ethos of fail fast, fail often, yeah. which is to say, you know, Jump in feet first, get a bunch of venture capital, throw something out there into the world and, you know, and have, you know, a six to to nine month horizon where you care about it. And then if it doesn't sell to someone big, just dump it like a hot potato, throw it away, fail, close it down. All the people are out of work. Let them find new jobs. And like that whole vibe is like is endemic in that kind of Silicon Valley world. You know, who I should invite to come on the show and talk with us about this stuff is Megan Smith. Um, I used to work with her several years ago, and and I just saw her. She was at our friend Tom Riley's birthday party uh, a week or so ago, and we had a chance to catch up. She was the chief technology officer under um, uh, Barack Obama uh, for the United States. And... Um, and before going to do that, she was at uh, Google Labs, where they do a mm-hmm. lot of those project development things. It'd be f- interesting to ask her, you know, what is the story behind this, and and why can't they stick with the, uh, you know, with with products once they have managed to build a a base of consumers, who then stand to be screwed over by you know installing them. Yeah, and and the thing is, it's 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 a big problem in the kind of technology realm. I mean, you know, uh, just even other examples. You know, things like you'll buy a scanner. You know, this is a in, or a printer, and you buy the scanner, and two years later, 
you know, you spent however much money on the scanner, they aren't putting new drivers out for it. And so they update your operating system and your scanner's a brick now because it doesn't speak to your computer anymore. Right. Or, you know, or Adobe sunsets, you know, a web design product and you no longer are able to update your websites, you know, just this kind of like, and there's no recourse and there's really like nothing you can do about it. You're just sort of like, okay, well, I guess however much money and time I've invested into X ecosystem, I guess I just have to move on and find something else. Yeah. It's, it's frustrating. It's frustrating. And for me, you know, uh, it's just, it just really hit home because I've, I've, I've been burned by Google before, but to have, like literally things in my house that work perfectly now that because of just a business decision as of April will just suddenly stop working forever is, is just a bummer. Right. Right. You should actually write to them and tell them you need them to uh, refund you all the money that you've put into it. Well, the, the, what they're doing, you know, they're, they're kind of peace offering is to give people $200 off uh, an ADT, um, you know, self-installed security system, um, because they're, they, they, they invested heavily in ADT recently. Um, I'm sorry. That's probably why they're doing it is because they want that now to, you know, pay off as the dividend. Right. Um, and you know, ADT has a, a, you know, a, a long, you know, history of being something that no one wants to tangle up with because, um, you know, their, their fee structures are just like, you know, not anything that's great. Um, yeah. And I you know, had their I, service and it, it did not protect my house. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, yeah. So, so, and you know, $200 off is like a drop in the bucket from how much I spent for this whole system that was supposed to be amazing, which, which again, worked great. Yeah. Uh, and, and were it not for them just turning the switch off, you know, could work great indefinitely, but right. they turn the switch off and, and it all falls apart. So anyway, that's my demerit of the week is Google and their mercurial uh, sense of, you know, taking care of their customers. Indeed. That's that's a really annoying one. I knew it was going to be a good one if you had something bad to say about somebody. <laughs> so you are always giving us the the upside. The the glass is always half full with you, Richie. Um, I mine. I well, my decision might have been changed during the news update, but uh, I'm thinking that my demerit this week will be um, Alabama. Don't uh, commit a crime there, uh, especially one that involves the death of somebody, uh, because it sounds to me like this new nitrogen gas that they're going to start killing their inmates with. Uh, it apparently is veiled in secrecy and it could lead to excessive pain or even torture. So unless you're into that whole BDSM movement and thing, um, pick another state other than uh, Alabama if you're going to commit a homicide. But to be serious for a moment, um, I actually I got a phone call this morning from a colleague of mine, an old colleague of mine, who was telling me a story that ripped a scab that was about 11 years old off of me, um, reminding me almost exactly of what I had gone through because he is dealing with a um, very expensive vehicle that he bought uh, not too long ago, a few months ago, after he uh, had unfortunately been hit 
in a uh, hit-and-run accident uh, where his car was demolished. And so he ended up buying uh, an Audi. Nice cars. They are nice cars. And I don't know if you know, but Audi and Volkswagen are the same company. And I had uh, uh, VW several years ago that was uh, a vehicle I really liked. And in fact, it was Volkswagen's version, basically, of the A4 uh, Audi. And it was their uh, top-of-the-line Passat. And um, not, you know, two shakes of, uh, shakes of a lamb's tail uh, after the warranty went out. Um, so went a $5 bolt in the engine that uh, ended up blowing the engine. And it was a known problem at Audi, uh, I mean at Volkswagen. And they knew, corporate knew about this because they had thousands of people who had reported this problem and had had their engines blow up because of this one stupid little bolt. However, they never published anything about it, and they never actually did a recall, which they should have, of course, done for fixing a $5 bolt instead of having uh, all of a sudden a bunch of customers who are going to be looking at fifteen dollars to $20,000 engines uh, that they would have to replace. Well, um, as my friend I spoke with this morning was telling me apparently um, he had some legitimate modifications done on his vehicle afterwards but they tried to use that and that's not a legitimate excuse for um, negating his warranty on a two-month-old car and when he had a conversation with uh, one of the technicians in the shop at the at the dealership where it was taken to um, where they told him you're gonna have to come up with thirty thousand dollars for a new engine um, the technician told them, look, we've had dozens of cars that had to have their engines replaced here in the last couple of months. And they're just, you know, trying to work, you know, weasel their way out of being responsible for your loss. And so uh, he's now in a situation where he's going to have to litigate with them. And it's really a crying shame because once again, you have a situation where here's a company that knows about a problem that they've been having with a bunch of similar vehicles and the engines in them. And there are things that would not have cost that much to fix had they been done. And, you know, uh, if they had taken a proactive approach to doing it. So my demerit this week actually goes to Volkswagen Audi uh, because there is a long history of this being the way that they deal with customers who make these in enormous investments of tens of thousands of dollars into a vehicle and then they can't even stand behind it when they've got a, a um, manufacturing flaw. I mean, can you imagine? I mean, I'm sure that, you know, uh, Alaska and uh I don't know who else, Delta and United, I guess, um, airlines uh, would feel the same way if Boeing tried to pull some sort of similar crap uh, about their mid-cabin doors that didn't have the bolts put in correctly to begin with. And, you know, and somebody nearly gets sucked out mid-flight. So well, it's, I mean, not to mention that, that VW and Audi, um, you know, were engaged in that extremely... Uh, the the diesel scandal right. where they were where they were fudging the numbers um, on purpose yeah. uh, and basically you know a bunch of people had cars that couldn't meet the emission standards of the countries that they were in uh, if if they were actually 
tested properly because they had you know they had uh, devices in there that could they could determine whether or not it was being done in an emissions test or normal. And uh, so yeah, I mean, not a good look. I mean, if you're if you're you know peddling products that are falling apart and also you know lying on emission standards, not cute. No. Um, you know what? It's libations time. And in just a few moments, our bartender, Mr. Richie Roy, is going to be uh, donning his little bartender French-made outfit. And (laughs) he's going to be back behind the bar and uh, whipping up something with his swizzle stick. So stay with us on the GBC Happy Hour, 760-677-0111. One more segment if you want to call in. Join us. Mixologist Richie Roy and his ice cube handler Johnny Mac present the latest lessons from the Gay BC Happy Hour School of Mixology. As they say at Gay BC, bottoms up. Hello. Hello. And welcome to the Happy Hour. We are uh, having our final segment here, our Mixology 101 uh, Mixology Corner. And uh, this week's suggestion is actually um, from a friend of mine. Uh, I was talking with them earlier on Spaces, uh, my friend Coach Vanson, and um, and he recommended a drink that I had not had in a couple years, but um, really is a fantastic drink, and I think definitely uh, one that if you've not had is worth trying out, which is the Aviation. The aviation. The aviation, yes. Is is it it because it's going to make you high or fly high? I I think so. I I guess so, yeah. I mean, it's it's not particularly airplane-themed, but it it is from um, the early 20th century. Is it blue like the yonder? What was that? Is it blue like the wild yonder? It's it's actually purple. Oh, okay. It's a purple drink, um, which is... uh, Really, really quite quite good. Um, and the thing that's interesting about the aviation is that it it's from the early 20th century, but it really only kind of recently came into the vernacular again, which is uh, in 2007. Because for many years, as of the 1960s, one of the... Uh, major ingredients in it which is creme de violette was not in production anymore they just it wasn't being made what is and it so taste this drink like? what was that what does that taste like you know it's it's sort of like a floral you know violette you know you know violet sort of flavored okay um uh, like you know it, it's violet petals and um has berries and orange peel and stuff um okay. different flavors but essentially a violet flavored um liqueur and uh, if you've not had violet flavored things definitely i will say i love violet flavor um c i think it's called c howard c howard makes these violet mints that are delicious um 
But anyway, uh, that's sort of beside the point. There also used to be violet-flavored uh, chiclets. Um, if you go to Mexico, they used to have a violet-flavored chiclet that was quite good. Hmm. But um, anyway, the Aviation uh, was, an, was a, a drink that was popular in the early 20th century and then disappeared in the 60s. And then in 2007, Creme de Violette came back on the market. So um, it's a beautiful purple drink, and it's a gin-based drink. So it is two ounces of gin, a half ounce of maraschino liqueur, like a Luxardo, quarter ounce of creme de violette, three quarters ounce lemon juice, and you garnish it with a nice, you know, uh, Luxardo maraschino cherry. Um, and it's just, it's sort of floral and, you know, botanical from the gin and slightly sweet from the maraschino. Um, it's just, it's a very balanced, delicious, classic, beautiful looking cocktail. You know, you serve it in like a nice coupe glass, um, you know, nice and chilled, uh, you know, it's, it's a shaken, you know, cocktail. And, um, so the aviation is the, um, that is the boozy beverage of choice for the week. Can I make a request for next week? Sure. I would love to hear some, um, concoctions that you whip up that do not involve gin. I personally cannot stand gin. Um, so I would love to make one of these things that you uh, know how to concoct, but I want it to be with an alcohol that I that I can palate. Okay. I, okay. I didn't even realize it until tonight. I was just kind of thinking about that. Like a lot of the drinks that uh, we have whipped up here at the happy hour um, have been gin-based cocktails. And I, I know mean, there's, there's a lot there, of people who like that. I, I It's just... I don't know what it was. I, you know, I used to drink gin and tonic, but uh, at some point in my twenties, I think I had a bad relationship with it. <laughs> I hear that. I get it. I mean, I, I had a couple run-ins specifically with Bombay Sapphire. I can't have that gin anymore um, because uh, during undergrad, I had a, a couple experiences that that weren't so pleasant with Bombay Sapphire, but. I do love gin, and the reason why it is so common in cocktails is because it has all those botanical flavors. You know, the the allspice and the the juniper berry and the you know cucumber if you're having a Hendrix, and it just it's very complicated, yeah. and so it makes a cocktail really have a lot of body and depth to it. But um, I will, yeah, next week we will do one that features no gin. Okay, and, and on then, the uh, alcohol-free side. On the alcohol-free side, yes. So um, this is kind of a, a broad recommendation. And I don't know if I've ta- if I've recommended it already, but if I, and if I have, I apologize. But I will go for it, which is I initially was very, very bearish on bubbly brand-flavored seltzers because I, the first one I had was the grapefruit, their grapefruit seltzer. Hmm. And it's... I, and I still maintain this. It is one of the most vile beverages that's ever been put in a can. It is. It, it tastes like bile. It's like carbonated bile. It's disgusting. <laughs> and so I had this grapefruit bubbly, and I was like, okay, well, bubbly is trash. I'm not going to drink any of this. Many years later, I had a blackberry bubbly. I forget even where and when I had it, and it was really good. And I was like, okay, well, I'm going to give bubbly another chance. Since then, I am totally enamored of 
two particular flavors of bubbly. And again, it's just flavored seltzer. You know, it's not, there's yeah, no sugar. I, it's I just, love you know, it. What was that? I love it. Yeah. So they have two flavors that I'm particularly enamored of at the moment. They have an orange cream and a lemon sorbet. And orange cream basically tastes like a creamsicle flavored seltzer. It is hmm. super tasty. Um, I mean, it really does taste quite a bit like a creamsicle. Um, and uh, that one's great. And then lemon sorbet, which is also kind of has, similarly has a little bit of a cream, sort of a lemon cream kind of taste to it. And I cannot get enough of these. They are super flavorful. They they really do have a nice mouthfeel. Um, and they, they, I mean, to be honest, they pair well also with, with vodka or gin. Um, and I could even see actually doing like a Campari with like the lemon cream or the lemon sorbet one. Um, they're just, they're really fun. Um, the other, other bubblies I've had have been good too. The blackberry is great. Cherry's pretty good. Blackberry and cherry also. Yeah. And peach. Yeah, the cherry's good. Yeah. And um, I don't know if they actually can the peach, but it's really good. Um, I do know that it is available as a, uh, additive to, uh, if you have a soda stream. Really? Yeah. All, all, a bunch of the, of the. Uh, bubbly flavors are available for use with the soda stream. That is good they to come, know. They that come in like little bottles that look like the, uh, you know, the, I don't know, is it one ounce or two ounce bottles of uh, uh, liquors? You know, like the, on an airplane? Like an airplane size, yeah, bottle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So oh, wow. Okay. Just go to soda streams uh, website and they have all that stuff there. In fact, they also have a mix of uh, Pepsi and Diet Pepsi for people who are into that. I, I've never bought those, but um, but yeah, they have a bunch of the bubbly flavors. Yeah, so that is that is my, my non-alcoholic choice of the week is just delve into the world of bubblies. Just don't get the grapefruit one. It's really, it's really <laughs> vile. It's not that bad. Uh, I mean, if you like the taste of upchuck with a little bit of fizz, then <laughs> by all means, um, go for it. But uh, yeah, so that's that's Mixology Corner for the week. Um, okay. I have one last little story I'll try and get out here really quick before we go tonight. Um, uh, it turns out that actor Will Ferrell uh, had a very close relationship with some uh, you know, as a friend with the person who wrote for Saturday Night Live from 1995 to 2008 um, and and went on a road trip with this friend. Uh, there's now a documentary that's out and uh, is being screened at the at the big film festival in Utah, you know, uh, the Sundance Film Festival. His, his friend Harper Steele was even though not the first person he'd met that was trans, it's the first person in his life that he really uh, has come to know and, and who he's close to that is trans and uh, helped him to understand the transgendered life experience uh, when he came out in 2022 as somebody who is trans. And so this, uh, this new documentary that's out called Will and Harper uh, will start, I'm sure, showing up around the country. And uh, apparently uh, it was three summers ago 
that Harper emailed a lot of uh, her close friends with the headline, here's a weird one. And Farrell said that the Variety Studio presented by Audible, or said that at the Variety Studio, was presented by Audible at the uh, Sundance Festival. Uh, she went on to explain that she was going to transition, and we were all, of course, excited to hear the news and surprised to hear the news. And all of us were extremely supportive and expressed love but that sort of opened uh, the questions like, how can we help you? And what do you need us to do? So uh, check that out. And there's a story about it at NBC Out. You can learn more about it. Uh, so cool on Will Ferrell. That's Richie, awesome. thank you. Have a great week. You too. And uh, we'll see you guys next week. Absolutely. 